Hey, everybody. It's good to see you. If you're new around these parts, my name is Dave. Um, uh, I serve here and serving as a regional leader for uh, Vineyard USA, which is a uh, part of the tribe that we're a part of with the churches all over the U.S. and beyond. So uh, good to be with you. And uh, you look beautiful here at Tri-County. I take for granted that you look equally nice in Eastgate Uptown and Middletown. Glad you guys are with us. And we're launching into a new series called uh, Renew. Rob will be back next week to bring the heat. And the, the idea is that it's, it's designed to go deep and discover what God would say to us about real change. Change that renews us from the inside out. Okay? So, first of all, how many of you made any kind of New Year's resolutions this year? Okay, three of you. This is like the... Uh, massively underachieving church. We're the, the Bart Simpsons of the Vineyard Movement. You know, can you guess what the top five resolutions are? What do you think number one is? Yeah, lose weight. Number two is improve finances. Three is exercise. The fourth is, according to a Harris poll that was done this year, fourth is get a new job. And five is eat healthier. So that, yeah, I was reading this article by uh, Dr. Ann uh, Grabio. She's a professor of neuroanatomy at MIT. And she says the problem with resolutions is how, is how habits in the brain actually form and how they function. And she says that, she says that we all mostly live by habit and believes that the brain though actually forms habits in chunks. And she writes, that is, we tend to learn a set of behaviors all together, and a trigger will stimulate us to perform the entire chunk. For example, when a traffic light turns red, our body automatically takes the necessary steps to press the brake and slow the car down. We also might be able to create artificial triggers to stimulate good habits. For example, if you want to exercise in the mornings, it might help to put out your jogging clothes the night before, so as soon as you wake up and see them, your body is triggered to exercise. So I, I tried this the other night. I, I got up this, you know, I got up in the morning, I saw my jogging suit, I put it on and ran to the car and drove to McDonald's and got an egg McMuffin. This thing works, this really works. Some of you may know uh, who Bill Phillips is. He's a, he's a, uh, a bodybuilding expert, a fitness guru, and he says the key to success <laughs> is putting up a picture of a person that you want to look like on, the, on a wall where you exercise. So, you know, put up that muscle-bound person. And, and it's that, that seeing and imagining where you want to end up looking like is the key to success, he says. So I'm going to try his program, Bill Phillips' program. So here's the picture I'm using. I'm starting off with baby steps. I just, well, I want to go slow. So here's the question that I, that I want to ask you today is, how do you picture yourself a year from now? How do, how, can you imagine yourself two years or five years from now? Do you have a vision for yourself a year from now? A vision is really just a preferred future. And, and I would guess that very few of us honestly take the time to imagine, to just imagine what we want to be or do in the future. And, and have, you, have you even ever thought about how weird it is that we have an imagination? I mean, think about, and why do we have it? The imagination is an incredible gift 
that's been given to us humanoids. Your dog doesn't sit around imagining, ooh, what he's going to look like or be in a year, right? The ability to imagine is unique to our species. And get this, you're made in the image of God. You came from his imagination. That's pretty awesome. Albert Einstein, who, by the way, he had a teacher who said he would never amount to anything, <laughs> Albert Einstein. But he said that, that imagination is more important than knowledge. But let's take this further. As great a gift as your imagination is, and as vast as the things that humans can think up, which when you look around the planet, the things that humans have created, it's, it's really pretty spectacular, pretty amazing. That's not even close to what God can imagine or dream up in your behalf. In a letter written to his friends in Corinth, the Apostle Paul writes, he's, he refers to a, a particular passage in the Old Testament. He says, that's why we have the scripture text. No one's ever seen or heard anything like this. Never so much as imagined anything quite like it. What God has arranged for those who love him. In other words, he's saying, even at your, at your best in imagining your life as you would like it to be, as you would like it to turn out, it says, just keep this in mind. Your best scenarios and visions for yourself can't come close to touching what God has dreamed up for you. You might say, eh, Dave, that sounds okay. It's, I'm not a super spiritual person, so I'm not sure I get that or can never picture that. Yeah, you can. Listen to the very next verse that Paul says. He says, but you've seen and heard it because God, by his spirit, has brought it all out into the open before you. In other words, when we begin to yield our lives to Jesus, we begin this uh, process, maybe it's in baby steps, but, but of seeing and hearing what God has in mind for us, his picture for us. So as you start into the, the new year, I want to I take you through a little exercise. I'm going to get a little teachery on you today, so just it'll be okay. But a little exercise to help maybe help you develop that picture or a vision of what you can be. Because that's way better than resolutions. Just, just keep in mind that as you continue to give more of your life over to Jesus, different areas of your life as you surrender them, he'll begin to bring more out in the open before you and your vision will become more uh, God-inspired as time passes. I guarantee it. So let's begin. First of all, a vision is just, is really it's just a picture of how you want to finish. You think about it. The, the best place to start is with the end in mind. So getting a vision for your life begins with imagining, with imagining how you want to end up. It's a picture of your preferred future. What's the target in your mind's eye? The little leaguers are told from day one to keep their eye on the ball. That's the, tar that's the end point. That's the target. An artist will tell you if you, want to, if you want to paint a straight line, you don't look at your brush. You look at the end point where you're going. Or a tightrope walker never looks down. They always look forward to their end point, the other side. Without vision, you have nothing to move toward or look at, nowhere to go. In, in the uh, uh, children's book, Alice in Wonderland, after Alice, you've, you've seen the movie at least. After Alice falls down the uh, rabbit hole, she eventually comes across the uh, Cheshire cat. 
and she asks him for directions. It, by the way, it's a, it's a really clever little book if you take the time to read it. it written by a guy named Charles Dodson. His pen name was uh, Lewis Carroll. But uh, Dodson was a, uh, he was a mathematician. He was a fabulous photographer, which was kind of new in that day. And a deacon in his church, he was a believer. And a close friend of George MacDonald, who is one of my all-time favorite uh, Christian authors. But anyway, Alice comes across this Cheshire cat. And she says, would you tell me, please, which way I ought to go from here? Well, that depends a good deal on where you want to get to, said the cat. Well, I don't much care where, said Alice. Then it doesn't matter which way you go, said the cat. There's logic in that, see. So where do you want to get to? That's your vision. That's your end point. And what's more, I've discovered that you, you can put up with a lot of the slime of life that gets thrown at you. You know, it's just going to happen. It's inevitable. If you know how you want to finish. We, we learn from Scripture that Jesus himself endured an agonizing crucifixion. It was the worst form of Roman execution. But he endured that because of what he could envision at the end. So the writer of the Hebrew letter in, in the New Testament says that Jesus was willing to die a shameful death on the cross because of the joy he knew was his afterward. There's, there's a prophetic passage about Jesus in the Jewish prophet Isaiah's writing, written some 600 years before Jesus stepped foot on this planet. And in it, Isaiah implies that Jesus could, in effect, see you and me, his children. He could see you and me made whole because of his suffering in Isaiah 53. It's a powerful vision that to think that Jesus was seeing you as the finished picture. So without envisioning a picture of how you'll finish, I'm telling you the pain in this life makes no sense. And so life really begins for us when we start with the end in mind. So let's talk a little bit about the process. How do we start to imagine a future picture of ourselves? And here's what's been helpful to me as, you know, I'm walking through this myself, you know, through the transition changes that are going on in my life and how to walk it out. There, this has been helpful for, for me. I, I think there, there are three things to think about when you begin to imagine how you want to finish or imagine your future. And here's what I've discovered at least. One is your character. That is, that's who you want to be in the future. And then your contribution, that's what you want to leave when you finish. How do you want to leave this planet when you finish? You know, what do you want to leave it, leave there? And then third is what, I've got, what I just call your, your compass, because that's what kind of drives the direction of your future. So let me unpack these three real quick here. The first one, your character. The question that, we'll, that we ask ourselves when we're dealing with this issue is, who am I really when no one's looking? Who am I when no one's looking? Jesus talked a lot about your secret life. That is, who you are when you're alone. Your thoughts, your motivations. Because Jesus was not just about making nice people who have nice behaviors. He, he went to the hidden places of our lives because for many of us, so much of who we are is determined by how we want to appear, right? So he goes way deeper than that. What kind of a person do you want to be five years from now or two years from now? The shape of your future begins 
obviously with the present. So what would you change? What, what do you think God might want to kind of poke in a little bit? What do you think you would, could start the baby steps of changing this week if it actually shaped the person that you would be a year later? What, what, might, what area might that be that you might want to tackle, you know? In order to be a year from now less bitter or less fearful about things or more generous or more kind or more loving. Remember, this, is, this piece is not so much about what you do, but rather why you do what you do because that comes out of, out of character. And here's the weird part about this. You, you really can only change as much as you are self-aware. And that even goes for the power, for God's ability to change you. He'll only change as much as you are willing to give, as much as you are self-aware. So your journey with Jesus will constantly be about your motivations. And the Holy Spirit will, he just regularly probes our lives to reveal to us why we do the things we do. That's more important to him. That's, a, that's why God speaks to the, the Jewish prophet Jeremiah one day. And he says, I, the Lord, I search all hearts and examine secret motives. The why question. So one way to think about this character piece is, is to ask yourself, what would you want people to say at your funeral? What would you want people to say at your funeral? Yesterday morning, I was at a funeral service, a memorial service for Jocelyn Chandler. Uh, Jocelyn was a wife of a friend of mine, Greg Chandler. He's a pastor of World Outreach Church. And Greg and I have been in a small group together for over a decade. But person after person at the service talked about the impact that Jocelyn had on their lives. I mean, person after person. Comment after comment about who she was as a person. And, you know, I was just sitting there thinking, ooh, wow, that's strong. I wonder, wonder what people would say if... And when they talked about the things she did, it was all connected with who she was. They celebrated who she was as a person. They celebrated her life. Will your life be celebrated? What would you want people to say at your memorial service? I heard a story. Three guys were wrestling with that question. And, and the first guy said, I'd like to hear them say that I was a good doctor and, and a good family guy. And, and the second person said, second guy said, well, I'd like to hear, I'd like to hear that it was said that I was a, a good teacher who made a difference in kids' lives. And the third guy said, I'd like to hear somebody say, hey, he's moving. See, you can think about that on your way home <laughs> because some of us really aren't ready <laughs> to go. We aren't ready yet. What would you want people to eulogize over you? And maybe more importantly, what would you say? What would you say? The Apostle Paul, he moves beyond what we do and he gets into core character issues when he writes one of the most beautiful and powerful passages in the New Testament. In 1 Corinthians, he says, if I give everything I own to the poor, and even go to the stake to be burned as a martyr for God. I mean, that's, that's pretty altruistic, right? That's big stuff. But I don't love. I've gotten nowhere. So no matter what I say, what I believe, and what I do, I'm bankrupt without love. See, he's pulling up a character 
issue. And character shapes your, your destiny. What kind of person do you really want to be a year from now? Five years from now? Because what you do today will determine who you will be tomorrow. <laughs> now, still, okay, you're tracking with me so far. The second part of this is what I mentioned about your contribution. The second part of imagining your your vision, who you can be, is your contribution. And by contribution, I mean, ask yourself this. What changed in the world by me being here? What changed? If you saw uh, It's a Wonderful Life for the 50th time during Christmas, that's the thing that George Bailey is, is struggling with. Character has to do with who you are. Contribution has to do with what you do because of who you are. So this, this isn't about your career or job. This is about your contribution to help change somebody's life for the better. Because that's the business we're all in. It's always about people. Most of us maybe discover that a little late. It's never too late, so that's why we're, we're doing it now. Once again, God has his hand in this one big time. And so, so Paul writes that, that, that he says, we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Doesn't get any simpler than that, does it? That's why we talk so much around here about living an outward-focused life. And that word, handiwork, some translations say um, uh, workmanship. We are God's workmanship, handiwork. It's, the, it's actually a Greek, the Greek word poema. It's just where our English word poem comes from. You, you are God's poem. You are, his, you are his masterpiece, an expression of himself. When, when poets write, they're expressing themselves and wanting, they want to have an effect on the reader. So God created, he created you. He brought you out of his imagination to have an effect on the people who will read your life in order to express his character. And in the end, all they really have is your, your action. Again, Paul puts it simply like this. He says, my life is worth nothing unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus. What's that work? The work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. Of changing someone's life because you introduced them to the unmerited favor and power of God who loves them in ways that they could never imagine. That's, that's it. When you envision your future, when you think about your contribution, what changed because you were here? Did you leave the world a little better place than, you know, when you arrived? And, and that works corporately. You know, if, if tomorrow the vineyard here and all the sites and all the churches that have been planted in, in uh, greater Cincinnati, if we all closed our doors tomorrow, did we leave Cincinnati a little better than when we got here, the people of Cincinnati. The, the last thing to consider as you're, you know, imagining your, the future picture of yourself is what I call your compass. And, and here's the question to ask yourself with this one. What determines my, my vision direction 
the choices that I make each day that determine where I'm heading. What, what is it that I pull out to help me make decisions or choices that come at me week in, week out, and forever? Because each of us, everyone in this room, has some sort of internal compass that influences the direction of our lives. We all have one. We, we subconsciously look at it any time that we're making decisions. We pull out an internal compass. For instance, suppose, you're, you're, uh, suppose your boss asks you to work next weekend. You need to work next weekend because it's courting a, they're courting an important client. And then, but then you remember that, that your spouse invited a neighborhood couple or a few friends over with kids on Saturday afternoon to have lunch and so forth. And Well, your internal compass will determine which way you'll decide. And we all have different compasses. For instance, does, your, does the compass that you pull out does it, does it have a family pointer or a family focus to it, right? If so, then, you know, you go to your boss and you say, oh, I'm sorry, you know, you, my, my spouse made plans and you end up may feeling, you may feel a little guilty about, you know, or worried about your job or you might even begrudgingly stay at home that weekend, but you don't want to disappoint your family because that's the compass that you pull out, right? Or is your compass uh, career focused, if so, you might think this has a great chance for an advancement. It's a good opportunity to prove your value and your commitment to the company. After all, you want to be a good provider. You know? your, your family and friends should be proud of how hard you work. That's a work compass or career compass. Or do you have a, a money focus? Is that the first compass you pull out? The chance for overtime pay, that's appealing. And uh, who knows, this could be grounds for a future raise. And, and money is often an issue in your house. So let's get in while we can. Right? Or maybe the compass that you pull out is a self-focus compass, right? Forget working next week. This is, you know, this is your time off. You deserve it, right? Your spouse may even think that in this recessionary climate, it would be good actually for you to go to work, but, but you think, hey, I deserve a break. That's the compass you pull out. Right? Some of us, and as a pastor, you, you get to talk to lots and lots of people. Believe it or not, some of us may even have an enemy-focused compass. You know? What I mean by that, there are some folks whose whole life revolves around someone who has hurt them have never recovered from this event or that event or whatever, or someone they don't like. And all their conversations eventually end up being about this person and enemy focus. So maybe there's someone at your job who thinks they're God's gift to the company and seems to get all the glory from your boss for doing very little. And this is your chance to prove what a dipstick they are. And so your enemy focus compass says, yeah, okay, I'm going to do this because, right? Now, let me park here for a moment. It's easy to see how each one of these compasses affect our decision-making and our future. And obviously, not all of them are bad. We all have a compass that we pull out. But when you read through the accounts of Jesus in the, in the New Testament and what he taught, you'll find him disproportionately introducing another kind of compass. You know. He brings up another one. And the one question that he kept asking his disciples was basically this. Do you have a God-focused? Do you have a God-focused compass where that's your true north? 
With him as your true north, other things, he would say, begin to fall into place. And it'll both change the person who you are and what you will contribute by the end. It is, it is the vital element in imagining your future, in imagining how you'll finish. A God-focused compass is absolutely critical for this. You know, when I first came, when I first surrendered my life to Jesus, I was a you know, young 20-something, and, and it was such a night and day difference. It was a 180-degree turnaround. Amazing. And I can remember even thinking, why didn't someone tell me about this earlier? I was only 20-something. This is phenomenal, phenomenal. So, you know, when I became a, a believer, it was like, all right, God, I want to do something big. I want to dream something big to do for you. What's the big thing? What's the big thing you want me to do? And, but it was never the big things that God seemed interested in, honestly. I, I can remember exactly the day. I can remember where I was standing the day that I felt like God spoke to me. I was newly married and I was, you know, whatever. And, and, and he reminded me that my first, the big thing he had for me was to love my wife. That was my first ministry. And he reminded me in Ephesians that it said that, that Jesus gave his life for his bride. So what are you going to do, Dave, you big shot? Uh, oh, that's it. <laughs> love my wife. Learn to love her. Get started on that process. And small things with big consequences. And it was always small things he seemed to be poking at. Like, would I introduce him to my coworkers at my dead-end minimum wage job, or would I be embarrassed of Jesus? Oh. Or whatever, give all the money you had this week to a friend in need, or go back and apologize to that person that you made fun of at a party, or stop and help, them, help that guy with the car thing on the side of the road, or ask forgiveness for screwing up something even though no one knew it was you. It was the small things see, in obedience to what he was saying to me. And what he was doing in me in those small things was helping me to create a God-focused compass in every decision that comes across your plate, you know. They were all things having to do with how Jesus wanted to be formed in me, not the big things, not the woo-hoo, big spiritual breakthroughs or whatever, but rather, was I pulling out the right compass to find true north? For, for years, Anita and I had a, a, a little a piece of paper, a little scrap of paper that had a scripture printed on it that was taped on our refrigerator. We had it for years because, you know, when we, were, we had two little kids and we were trying to rehab this old house and, uh, and uh, you know, just trying to do ministry uh, working this and that and so forth, just trying to make things happen. We didn't have two nickels to rub together. And in the mail one day, we got a, a really sizable check in the mail anonymously. I don't know who it was from. It was a cashier's check. And, and it had that little piece of paper with, this script, with the scripture on it that says, seek the kingdom of God above all else, you know, and he'll give you everything you need. It had that on it. And the anonymous person who sent that to us, they had no idea that that was really kind of a life verse for me, you know, when I first became a believer. And so we had that taped on our refrigerator for the longest time because 
Seek first the kingdom of God, his righteousness. Everything else will come along, will be added. That was the compass that we had to pick up when there were bumps in our relationships, or bumps, you know, in our finances, or in our work, or in everything. God, what do you want me to do in this situation? I want to hear you. What would be the thing that would honor you most in this decision? So, later on this week, Take a moment to fire up your imagination. Just try to carve out just a little bit of time. Fire up your imagination and write down or scribble out a picture of who you want to be by the end of this year or in a couple of years or in five years. Who do you want to become? What do you want to leave when you're finished? By the end of the year, what do you hope will have been left? Or, and what's determining the, the direction of your vision? Just kind of let your imagination roam. Think about your character, your contribution, and your compass. And I can guarantee that your future is being shaped by those three things. Guarantee it. So this time we'll uh, release the sites to the site pastors. Go get them there. And here at Tri-County, let's just, uh, I wanted to finish a little early so we could just have just a few minutes to slow down and talk to God. So if you would, just close your eyes, lay papers aside for a moment. And just for a few minutes, three minutes here. Close your eyes. So Father, we invite you to come here in the power of your spirit, God. We, we acknowledge your power and your presence. And, and we invite you, God, to, to help us to amp up our sensitivity to hear your voice or what you may want to poke at just for a few minutes how you want to probe our hearts, oh God. So come, Holy Spirit, come even now upon each person in this room. While our eyes are closed here, just think, think for a moment. On this character issue, is there a part of your character, a motivation, or the why part of something that you think God may be poking at? That he may want you to become more aware of, self-aware of this thing. And that from a year from now will be a little different. And for some of us, maybe it's a patience thing or maybe at the end of the year that we're a little less fearful about things, maybe a little more faithful, faith-filled. What aspect of your character do you think God might want to make you aware of right now? So come, God. Just be quiet for a moment. See if he prompts anything. Come, Holy Spirit. The beautiful thing about this is the Holy Spirit inside of you, if you're surrendered, all of those character fruits are in there to grow as you're made aware. Or think for a moment about your contribution. What life what person may be 
changed just a bit because you arrived on this planet? What relationship maybe changes a bit? Maybe it's someone who you, you will introduce them for the first time to the beauty and power and majesty of Jesus and the favor and love that he has for them. You get that honor, that privilege of introducing them. What's your contribution? Come, Lord. Come, Holy Spirit. And then last, do you think there's a compass that you, that you're, it's typically your go-to compass that God might want to swap out and swap out with the kingdom of God compass, the seek first the heart of God, go after that first, everything else will be added. Maybe God right now would like to make you aware of the compass that you typically go to in order that you might surrender that to his, his compass. Where your true north is. So just listen for a moment what that might be. Come, Lord. So, Father, we thank you for times just to slow down a little bit and pray, Father, that you give each of us the courage to carve out a little bit more time to think about these things, to listen to you. Father, lastly, I just pray for any of us here who've never made that initial surrendering step to your son, Jesus. And I pray right now, oh God, that in our heart of hearts, we would just cry out to you and say, Jesus, please be my God, be my Savior, and change me from the inside out. Here are the broken pieces of my life. I give them to you. You drive my life. You heal me. You make me whole. Come, Lord Jesus, and change me, cleanse me, heal me, and fill me with your Spirit. I give my life to you. So we thank you, Father. And God, we pray all these things, believe that you really want to speak to us and talk to us. We give you all of this in the uh, beautiful name of Jesus, our Lord. And everyone said together, amen. Amen. Let's all stand. Prayer team, run them down here. Maybe one of those three areas really kind of hit you today and you'd like someone just to pray with you a little bit about that. Or maybe you're just in a rough patch. Please come on down and let these folks pray over you just for a couple of minutes. It'll do wonders. So God bless you guys. We'll see you uh, next weekend. Love you. And if you're new, come on over to the 10-minute meetup in the atrium. I'd love to meet you.